0: Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin churchorg And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. Margin, if you recall, is the amount available beyond what is necessary. We've been, you know, using that picture of like a document. If you go home and you know, open Microsoft Word and you set the margins right, there's there's just some space on the outside. We're talking about how do we make space on the, you know, in our lives for the things that are most important to us, the amount available beyond what is necessary. And um, I, I came across some questions this week. That were painfully revealing. I mean painfully revealing. And I'll I'll read the questions to you. And just, you know, whatever comes into your mind, you don't need to edit yourself, but just like, you know, don't because you know you're in church, you're gonna say, like, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, the Bible, right? Those are the those are the the church answers, but just be honest with yourself. And here's some questions that, that I came across. And and here's the first one: what do you worry about the most? What preoccupies you? What do you daydream about? What do you use to comfort yourself when things go badly or get difficult? What do you do to make yourself feel better? What makes you feel the most self-worth? What are you the most proud of? For what do you want to be known? What do you lead with in conversations? What do you want to make sure people know about you? What unanswered prayer makes you really question your faith? What do you really want? Out of life? What would make you happy? What is your hope for the future? Those questions are meant to sort of help us think about what is the priority of our lives and if if you're like me and you found yourself answering those questions with money, wealth, possessions, cool experiences that cost a lot of money, (laughs) shopping. (laughs) If you find yourself answering those questions, there could be a money problem in your life. You could have money issues, and those issues, if we do not keep them in check before the Lord, they will absolutely decimate the margins of our life. Tim Keller defines an idol as anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. We might have an idolatry of money, and here's the thing, we live in America. We have lots of blessings here, lots of stuff. And it is normal, it's totally normal to prioritize money above everything else. We're, We're the kind of people who think like, you know, if we were to boil down every problem that we have as a society or in our lives or in our neighborhoods or in our cities, and at the end of the day, we're like, if we had more Money, we could fix that. If I just had more money, this wouldn't be a problem anymore. And the reality is that we have made that the solution to everything. And what I want to propose to us is what if that's actually the problem? And it's not really the solution In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we see Paul speaking to his young protege. It's Timothy. Timothy is this this young man that he calls a true son in the faith. Timothy. Timothy has been like a disciple of Paul, just like the 12 followed Jesus around. Timothy, he's been, he's been following Paul around, and he speaks to him like a father, and he's going to give him some words that really speaks about money, and it's so important for us. And I just want you to know that Jesus has the power to set us free. Like, like the way of God is actually better for us. It is freedom. It is life. It is margin, but it does require a shift in us, in our thinking, and in our hearts, okay? Which works out into our life. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, I want to start in verse 3. And here's what Paul says If anyone teaches false doctrine, and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant Disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine, get this, that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, in many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Oh, wow. By the way, that word destruction throughout Scripture is always used in the New Testament talking about like spiritual destruction, judgment, hell, all that kind of stuff. That's what that word refers to. Let's pick it up, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's the fatherly part. But you, man of God, let me say this, you woman of God, Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul, the the father figure to this young man, Timothy, he gives him these words and he begins by warning him about false. Teaching. Now, when you look at the original word for false teaching, it, it has the prefix of hetero, meaning like it is different. It's different from the, the sound teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ or teaching that promotes godliness. This is a false doctrine that he's talking about that has to do with money. I, I don't know if you caught that in, in, in this the story. It, it's, it's about money. And it, it's this idea in, in verse uh, 4 through 5, he tells us, tells us that this, this uh, doctrine, it, it's, it's promoted by people who are conceited, meaning they have a really high opinion of themselves. They are puffed up with pride, right? Or it says they understand nothing. Have you ever said that to someone? you understand nothing. <laughs> this is strong words. But he's saying that this is the, the, the characteristics of the people promoting this. They have an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. And from these come envy, right? wanting what other people have, quarreling, you're just at each other all the time, slander, you're just saying like, things about someone else 's character you 're tearing them down before other people evil suspicions I, I think there's a lot of that in in our in our world right now especially in the church space that like you know this whole um all these churches are evil and all the pastors are bad and all they want is your money. And there's like evil suspicions about pastors and churches and leaders because so-and-so had a fall, right? And so then we just kind of say, well, that's, that's everybody then. They, they all do that. He, he says that there's constant disagreement among people whose minds were depraved and deprived of the truth. Wow. And then he gets to the crux of it. They, they imagine, they imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. And this is that, that idea that, look, if if you are godly, you're going to, you're going to have wealth. Now, there's this... Uh, awareness, I feel like, that we've, we've gained in the church of what we call the prosperity theology. Maybe you've heard that term before, prosperity doctrine or prosperity theology. And it's, it's a baptized idolatry of money and possessions. And it says to us that godliness is a means to becoming wealthy. So it, it would be like this, like, hey, you were a sinner. You were far from God. But Jesus, he came to die for you, to reconcile you to the Father so that you could be with him forever. And now, if you will live a godly life, he's going to give you wealth and health and beauty. And here's the, here's the tricky part is that you're like, you know, you're right. Like, in my sins... I, I would throw my coworkers under the bus. I would use people. I would step on people to get to where I wanted to go, right? I, I was pursuing stuff. I was pursuing money. I was pursuing income or, or what, whatever that is for you, the, the achievement. I was pursuing that at the expense of other people. And so I'm going to stop doing that because that's ungodly. And we would all say, amen, like, please don't do that anymore. Jesus does not want us to do that, Right? But see, that then what happens, the tricky part is that it takes God as the, the means to get you where you wanted to go originally anyways. And what happens is the, the end or the, the desire of your heart is, is left unchanged. You just want stuff. And that's, that's the deception of it, right? And Paul says that if we think that way, we understand nothing. We understand nothing. Here's my first point for us today. There is no amount of money or prized possession that could ever give you more than what Christ has already given you. Did you know that? The message of Christianity is not be poor. The message of Christianity is this you're already rich. So you don't need earthly riches. Really, that's it. Jesus has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Your father loves you. Jesus said things like, hey, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. Meaning your father, he loves you. He knows what you need. And guess what? You can trust him. Like you have everything you need right now in Jesus, that's such an important truth for us to understand, that we literally already have everything. There's this story in, Mac, in Mark chapter 10 of, of a young man who was a rich, young ruler, and he comes to Jesus and he says, uh, what can I do, good teacher, to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So he's kind of like, you know, he's trying to understand where this guy's coming from, Right. And uh, he says, well, you know the commands. Uh, you know, And he lists off the commands, the Ten Commandments. And the rich young ruler says, I have done these since I, was, since I was young. I've done that. And Jesus is like, great. Now, go sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and come and follow me. And the man went away sad because the scripture says he had many possessions. Why did he go away sad? If he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell your stuff, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Like, I, I'm, I'm here to save you. I'm here to teach. I'm, I'm here for you. Come, like, come close into my life. Come follow me. And what Jesus did is he revealed an idolatry, didn't he? Right? He, he revealed that it really wasn't necessarily eternal life. Or he wanted eternal life, but he just also wanted all the stuff, too. And Jesus said, We need to get this priority straight. So here's what I'm going to do. You just go sell everything, and here's what I'm offering you treasure. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus is the treasure you've always wanted. Period he's the end he's the he's the one that we're we're going after he's the treasure at the end of the rainbow that you're you know that you're trying to find like he's it he's the one and jesus has made a way for us and my question is this if god said to you today go and sell all that you have and give it away to the poor and then come follow me would you be sad that's an honest question I think I might be a little bit sad to you. Uh, there was a, a list of what we would call source idols that uh, Robert Keyes created, and I thought this was, was so helpful. He, he lists four of them. The first one is a comfort idol. A comfort idol. So in, in terms of money, it would sound like this, wealth limits my suffering and it gives my life meaning. It's comforting to me, right? The approval idol, it's, it's, we, we want to be approved of by others. And so it would sound like this, others will respect and appreciate me if I have a good amount of money, to spend on them or myself, right? Or if I have the symbols of status and wealth, like there's going to be an approval that I'm given by others. The third would be a control idol, which which would sound like this. I can fix my problems if I have enough money. If I have money, I have control. I can fix things, can make stuff happen. Or the fourth would be a power idol which would be this, if I have more wealth, I have more influence and I can exert power, right? I can, I can exert my influence because I have wealth. And as I was looking at that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so incredibly convicting. It's so easy for me and for us to elevate money into a place where God is meant to be. And like a young man, a young rich ruler, I could miss the true treasure because of lowercase T treasures. Did you know that the most dangerous Christian in the world is the one who treasures Christ over everything else? you will be dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. I mean, seriously. If Jesus is like Lord and like capital L Lord of all, including your money, you are dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And I believe this is an area where God wants to set us free. He wants to help us have the real capital T Treasure. Verse six, Paul gives us the key. Let's look at that real quick. Here's what he says in verse six of chapter six. He says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain. Second point I have for us is that contentment is God's medicine for marginless living. It's His medicine. That that word contentment, it, it's it, it means to be contented in our minds. It's a sufficiency of the necessaries of life, right? The, um, the amount available beyond what is necessary. There's, there's a, a sufficiency of the necessaries. We, we see this word used, the original Greek word, and it's not translated as contentment like in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. It says that God is able to make every grace overflow to you. I think I had this on the screen, James. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, here's the word, always having everything you need. That's the same Greek word for contentment. Always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. That's, that's a scripture, but the context is about giving generously and cheerfully always having everything you need. We see it in Hebrews 13, verse five and six. It's the similar message. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be, here's the word, be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. The capital T treasure of your life, God, the Father, Jesus has said to you, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Wow, dangerous people right there. What can man do to me? He says this contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. That, that word great, we've talked about this before, is the word megas. And it's literally like mega gain. Mega gain. It, it, it's like the jackpot. Have you ever won a large jackpot before? I'm just trying to see who gambles in here. Who the, or gamb, no, I'm just kidding. Trick question from the pastor. Never fall for that one. A jackpot. Godliness plus contentment equals jackpot. Mega gain. Mega gain. And here's the thing is that um, when we are marginless, we're not experiencing great gain, are we? I remember when Casey and I uh, first got married, I told this story last week at our intro class, um, that... I was trying to be the cool husband, right? We just got married. I made a whopping like $27,000 a year as a college pastor. I was living large, okay? I was content. And um, we would get paid on the first and we wouldn't get paid again to till the, till the next first, right? So we get paid on the first, and newly married. I'm like, let's go to Target. Ladies, you like Target, right? So we go to Target. And I'm like, let's go out to eat. we go out to eat. Let's go catch a movie. we go catch a movie. And by the 15th of the month, Dr. Jekyll becomes Mr. Hyde. <laughs> Don't spend a dime, right? She's like, ah, you're scaring me. But it's, it was the, the pressure that I was creating by overspending. And I would not describe that period of my life as mega gain. It was not a jackpot. It was quite the opposite, okay? (laughs) But he says, if we're godly and we're content, it's a jackpot. And here's where it gets really, really hard for us, okay? In verse 7 and 8, he defines the word contentment. Verse 7 He says this, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. Meaning, all the stuff that we're overextending ourselves to get, guess what? It's all gonna stay. We cannot take it with, it's temporary. In verse eight, he says, if we have food in clothing, we will be content with these. That literally means nourishment and covering. So meaning you have some clothing and you maybe have like a little roof over your head and you're good. Food, covering. This is hard for me because when I think about what is necessary, I start to think of things like air conditioning, anyone Feel like that's a necessity, right? Wi-Fi? Anyone feel like that's a necessity, OK? <laughs> uh, uh, an, a Netflix subscription? Anyone feel like that might be a necessity in our life? Or, or maybe three good solid square meals a day, right? That's neat. That's a necessity, right? But it's like he just lowers the bar all the way down to like, yeah, Nourishment and covering. And as Americans who are inundated with the message of more and better, right? That is so hard for us. When, when here's, here's an illustration. If everyone walked along the road, but you had the car that you currently drive now, whatever that is, and you had that car, and everyone walked, you would be driving that thing along, you know, dodging all the walkers, saying, "I exalt thee." Right? Just praising God as you drive that car and you see all these people sweating on the side of the road, and you're like, "God is so good." But if you take the car that you drive right now and drive it down parts of Houston where everyone has the latest and the greatest, and it has the paper tag still in the back, and you're just imagining what the smell of that new car is on the inside, and you're like, oh, right? And you're driving your jalopy, whatever it is you drive, and you're seeing, blessed be your name on a road marked with suffering but there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name, right? And the only thing that changed is comparison. The greatest enemy of contentment in our lives is comparison. When you see the thing that someone else has and you're like, oh, I would like that. And it makes you think less of what you already have. I I found this quote by Immanuel Kant. And he says, give a man everything he wants. And at that moment, everything will not be everything. And what he's saying is that contentment is this elusive thing. And if you have it, you have it for like a split second, and then it just falls through your fingers, and you're like, where'd it go, right? Because we're just surrounded constantly with stuff that steals our contentment. Our comparison often leads us to complaining. I hate this car. This car's terrible. The kid spilled milk in it it smells weird. I don't even want to let anybody in this car anymore, right? Look at this brand new car. <laughs> you start complaining. And then we, we move to the next phase, which is we justify our overspending. We see the commercials and it's like, be yourself, drive this car. Be the true you and drive this car, right? All the messages that we're taking all the time, right? And, and it's like we start talking ourselves into it. Years ago, we, uh, when Will was small, he was still in a carrier. Um, we had a truck. It was a great truck. It was like four or five years old. Wonderful, beautiful. I loved this truck. Um, we had gone to a furniture store and we carried our little baby son with us on our arms, like lugging the carrier inside the store, right? We look around, like, eh, nothing here. We walk outside the store, and the place where my truck had been parked was empty. And I'm like, eh, maybe I remembered this wrong, right? And so I'm looking through the parking lot, like, no, no, I'm pretty certain that I parked right here. And sure enough, somebody stole a car with a baby carrier thing in the back of it. That's the lowest, right? Like in the middle of Texas heat, like, hey, let's take the car that has the car seat in the back. And they had driven it to like an apartment complex, like a mile away. And apparently there's some sort of like, it's almost like you're on spec and they tried to sell it to somebody out there. Nobody wanted, the police found it. But in the meantime, my insurance had given me a check and I, I was like, this is my chance. Like, look at this big check that I have. And I went to the car dealership and I bought a sweet four by four, F-150, four door, leather, sound system. I mean, this thing was awesome. And you know what, I felt like a big boy. I'm like, you're such a great consumer. Look at this awesome thing that you bought, right? Everyone's like, man, way to go, I'm so proud of you, right? But the thing is, the, comp- the, the Ford dealership gave me a box of stubs. I don't even know they do this anymore. It was, it was all the payments that I was going to be making. And there was like a, a stub book. And whenever you would send your check in, you would send in that little copy of that stub book, right? So I could see in the future how many payments I was going to be making and how much they were. And I would look at that book and I'd be like, ah. Oh. And I, I would feel the weight And literally, with it was less than six months, I sold the truck, and I went and bought a used one on the side of the road, and I had peace again. Really? Really? Because I found myself in that trap of discontentment and then overspending, making $27,000 a year, and realizing I can't do this. Give a man everything he wants, and at that moment, everything will not be everything. So how does this lead us to margin? How does contentment lead us to margin? Scripture right-sizes what is necessary. Okay? Okay? It right sizes what is necessary so that when you're drawing the, the lines on your paper of your life, you're able to say, look, the world is saying like, I need to push my margins right here. But you know, actually when I'm, when I'm opening the scripture and I'm looking, like I can actually bring them into here. Like this is actually necessary and all this other stuff is not. And when that begins to happen and we draw those lines differently, we turn away from the love of money. And that desire to be rich, and we stop overspending. And guess what happens? Our margins increase. And if we don't do this, friends, I just want to remind us of what Paul says. Verse 9. Those who want to want to be rich, they fall into, I don't have you ever fallen into something before? Not fun. Fall into temptation, a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction, not fun. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, that word craving it is like it's when you stretch yourself out for something. It's like you, you want it so bad that you're willing to kind of stretch out your life to get it, right? It's, it's this stretch out, the, the craving that some have wandered even away from Jesus, the faith, and they have pierced them selves. It's literally a picture of self-inflicted harm. They've pierced themselves. They've stretched themselves out. They've wanted it so bad that they were willing to ruin their own life. Third point is this. Refusing contentment in pursuit of more stuff actually leaves us with nothing. Nothing. So what do we do about it? Like what what is the remedy? How do we find freedom? Here's what Paul says to his son. Flee. Run as fast as you can. Like, like a wild animal that wants to kill you is like on your trail. I want you to run as fast as you, like flee, get out of there as fast as you can, right? And pursue righteousness. Pursue faith, love, endurance, gentleness, godliness. He tells him to run. So let's just spell out what does it look like for us to live within our margins and our finances. You can go to that last screen. Living within your margins means spending less than you make. Amen? Amen. (laughs) You know this. We can't spend more than we make and have any margin at all. There's this really powerful word. The word is no. Let's just say it together. No. One more time, no. It's powerful. When we learn how to say no, and and I think it's powerful to to check our hearts and say, okay, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm talking myself into this thing that I'm going to spend money on. Am I seeking comfort? Am I seeking approval? Am I, am I trying to, uh, to, to get some sort of control over my life? Or, or am I seeking power in any way by this purchase? Right? It's just being honest with ourselves, spending less than we make. The second, giving your first and your best. This is the most powerful way to, to cast down the idol of the love of money, is to give money away. And you might look at me and say, this is where the greedy pastor thing comes in and they tell us to give our money. Okay, so let me just free you from that. I I think you should give your money to our church because it's an awesome church. But if that makes you like weird, you can give your money to something else. It's fine, okay? Okay. But if you will be a generous person, you will actually be casting down the idol, smashing that idol of money. This giving and generosity are all over the scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament. In fact, later in this passage, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you just go down uh, into verse 17, it says, instruct those who are rich in the present age... Meaning, if you have a lot of stuff, you're not sinning, okay? But if you do, which is most of us in this room, if you look at the world, most of us are rich. In the present age, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and willing to share. And here's what he says. If they do that, they're storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. I wanna encourage you, if you're not regularly giving, this is a great time to begin giving. And again, If you don't want to give that to our church, find an amazing ministry or missionaries and then give cheerfully and generously. It's like a heavenly 401k. Really. You're just storing it up for later. I'm going to come to your house and be like, dang, way to go, you know? So... Uh, Casey and I, our practice years ago, whenever we were going through the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde money phase of our marriage, <laughs> my pastor taught on margins, that's why I'm doing it for you, and then told us about a class called Financial Peace University. And in that class, we learned some basics about how to budget, how to view our money, and we learned about giving. And we started way back then, we started giving the first 10% of our money away. Why 10%? Isn't that legalism? Well, they were commanded to give 10% in the Old Testament. The tithe predates the law. Abraham gives Melchizedek 10% way before um, the mountaintop with Moses and the giving of the law, by the way. Okay, so the tithe goes way back before that. But what I struggle with is when you come from a system in Israel where they have to literally take their livestock and watch them be killed for their sins and the sins of their family. And when God puts on flesh and he becomes the lamb of God and steps onto a cross for me, somehow that in my mind, I'm like, oh, I can give less now. Praise God. I feel like the New Testament is actually the opposite. It's like, we should actually be giving more because Jesus gave it all, amen? And so our practice, when we get paid on the first and the 15th, we give the first 10% to this church, okay? We also have a missionary that we support over and above because we don't wanna be legalistic and stick at 10%, so we're gonna give a little bit more than that, right? It's, it's a pattern that we follow to give our first and our best. And I'll tell you this, my life is one big financial miracle. Seriously. There are things like I have, this is all glory to God. This is not Chris. I have zero debt. Seriously. I don't have a house payment, a car payment. We, we have a child that needed to go into a private school. We didn't know how that was going to work, but we knew that we were supposed to do it. And the Lord has provided everything that we needed. How? I don't know. It's literally God's economy. It's very, very different than our our like our math. It's like all we know is that God just sort of provides. And when we need it, it's there. And I, and I wish it was there long before we needed it so we could just see big numbers accumulating. But that's just not how it works. It's a walk of faith, giving your first and your best. Also, let me say this, when things are tight, that's when you want the Lord's hand on your finances more than ever, okay? I want Jesus in the middle of every dollar at that moment. Third, paying off debts. The borrower is slave to the lender, Proverbs 22, seven. I wanna encourage you to seek to live as debt-free as possible. I know, you buy a house, you probably don't have hundreds of thousand of dollars sitting in your bank account to go buy a house. I get that, right? But be smart, be smart. Pay off your debts. Lastly, saving for the future. When unexpected things happen, you and I reach for our Visa card and we say, well, just put it on that one, right? And what I want to encourage us to start flipping that and say, let's save some money because something bad's going to happen and I don't want to have to reach for my Visa card. Okay? So we begin to save for the future. Let me close with this quote J.I. Packer. He said, We discover contentment by learning to talk to ourselves in a good Christian way. You listen to God in scripture and then you tell yourself what he said. I like that. Listen to God in scripture, and then tell yourself what he said. If your emotions disagree, you argue with your emotions. And if you find unbelief in your heart, you argue with that unbelief, and you drive it out by appeal to God's truth. Friends, the medicine of Jesus for us is contentment we have everything that we will ever need we are rich in him let's let his word right size the needs in our life so that we can honor him with our finances amen thanks for listening to this episode of the renaissance church sermon podcast to support our work you can like share subscribe or you can donate at rin-church.org